Hello, I'm Joshua Graceberg. And I'm Jacob Friedman. And this is Gen Zero's Talk Politics. This is where two members of the next generation of American adults talk about what's going on in the world. Since the whole world is on fire, we might as well take a crack at delivering some insightful, definitely non-Twitter commentary and a side helping of comedy. We have Yehuda Halevi here with us. He's a good friend of mine. And he's here, here to talk about the election and anything else that's on his mind. Yehuda, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I guess the first question we have for you is, what are your political leanings? I identify personally. I'm a Republican. I'm a conservative. Um, I'm a patriot. That's, uh, that's how I represent myself. Um, I've gotten pretty involved in my community, just learning about um, how our country works learning about the constitution um, and just diving right into politics these last few years. And it's been great hearing, hearing perspectives of other people. I'm just glad to be here. And so what were your initial thoughts coming out of the recent election? So I think people on both sides um, weren't really expecting the results that we got. I think that um, a lot of people on the left were assuming that Biden would win um, by a landslide. All the polls, which were incredibly inaccurate, um, showed that. And I think people on the right uh, were expecting a Trump landslide win. I think the reason why we didn't see a Biden um, like blowout win was just because I've noticed that um, a lot of Republicans, especially Trump supporters, talk about their beliefs as much, which is why I believe that um, these results were very surprising to everyone. Were you able to vote in this election? Yes, I was. Um, I turned 18 in September, so uh, I had that opportunity. Would you mind telling us who you support in this election? Yeah, I voted for uh, President Trump this election. And and why did you vote for President Trump? Um, personally, so I'm, I'm Jewish, and this is a big one for me. Uh, I really, really do support everything he's done for Israel. I, I lived in Israel for three years. Um, I've seen what it's like there, seen what what's happened there with um, their enemies. And I really do think the, the support that he's given Israel between moving the embassy um, and the peace deals that he's made for the first time since the 90s is really, that's a really big one for me. I also, I support a lot of what he's done in the country. I think there's a lot of miscommunication about, um, about that because he his personality is is a big big turn away for many people um and i can see it's obvious why i mean if he i i do believe that if he controlled his, himself on twitter a little bit more he you know he might have had a better chance of winning the election just because a lot of people disagree with how he speaks but um i i was able to look past that and look at his administration on paper rather than him and his character. Uh, you mentioned once his foreign policy, but uh, was there anything specifically in the, the domestic policy that attracted you? Yeah. Um, specifically, uh, a lot of his was his tax policy. I think the tax, the Trump tax cuts that he made um, at the beginning of his term were, were a huge deal. I mean, there were thousands of, some thousands of dollars saved per family. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of Americans saw. I really do support what he's done with, as far as um, racial equality. I mean, a lot. This is a this is a very touchy subject, but um, 
he support criminal justice reform, prison reform, um, and also um, established opportunity zones in cities and given billions of dollars to um, historically black colleges just to uh, promote programs to help racial groups go through college. And I think overall, I support the job he's done. Um, I, I don't think that most people would would agree with me on all these things just because of everything that's happened in 2020 with, um, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement and everything. It's really, really controversial subject. But I think a lot of the the huge problem is that these conversations, there's no structure for them to take place. There's no, um, there's no way that they can take place when, when there's no, like when you demonize the other side, regardless if you're um, Republican or Democrat, you, you justify anything for, to, to criticize. Um, so I think that having these conversations are really what's going to help in our country. Now, moving on, uh, President Trump and his lawyers have attempted to dispute the results of the election, claiming mass uh, voter fraud and trying to uh, file many lawsuits against states. Do you agree with President Trump in his uh, dispute of the election? You know, I do. I think that um, whatever the results of the election are, should they should be accepted. But I think they should be accepted once everything is looked into and um cases are closed. I think we should examine everything before conclusions are jumped to. Um, as of now, not one state has officially called um, their numbers and the the media has been really the the people to call the election. And it's not, you know, it's not really their job to do that. It's, it's the job of the, the states to call, call their numbers. Um, I think we've seen we've seen a lot of, of fraud this election and I don't think it's everywhere, but I think there are certain states, um, specific states that have taken advantage of the conditions we're in this year and used it for political gain. I think like you see in Pennsylvania, there's, I wouldn't say, I don't know if it's ballot fraud. I'd say it's within the system itself, um, specifically the Dominion voting systems. Um, there's, and a lot of scandal with that. Um, well, that has been debunked by um, several outlets. It's been debunked by um, mostly, every, mostly um, everyone involved. Now, I was just to point out that um, even uh, more right-wing stations like Fox News and um, new government agencies such as the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, they, they have said that there's no indication of widespread fraud. There is no um, – this has been one of, secure, one of the most secure elections in American history. And that there is there, there's very little legal basis for the Trump campaign to even um, go on these um, lawsuits. How, how, do you, how do you square that with the Trump campaign? I do think there is evidence. There is clear evidence of voter fraud. Um, I th- you look at Pennsylvania, for example. Um, Trump had was up by about nineteen thousand nine hundred fifty eight votes. Um, this is on um, MSNBC. They refresh their broadcasts, and Biden had now increased by that same amount, and Trump had decreased by that same amount, um, as if it was switched within a system. You see, Pencil, you see Michigan, where overnight they stopped counting, and suddenly the next morning, Biden jumped in the amount of votes by 138,000, and Trump well, won one well, other vote. But, you, but don't you think that you could accredit that change to the in-person ballots, you know, being finished counting and then the mail-in ballots starting to trickle in, which 
ended up mainly being for Biden. I think part of it is the the universal mail-in ballots. The, I think there probably were more secure ways to go about um, going through this election. Um, there are certain states where, for sure, they have a really good system of counting, of distributing ballots. And I think you can see that. Um, Iowa, for example, has a really good system for that. And I think that's why you're not seeing many fishy cases in, in that in that area. But I do think there are some states where they were unprepared for this. And as a result, um, the system was taken advantage of. Do you believe that President-elect Biden should receive um, the authorization for a transition and receive the intelligence briefings as even Republican senators such as Ben Sass have uh, Langford have been calling for? I think that come time for inauguration, if there's nothing, there's no other evidence and everything's been been debunked and everything's been looked through and um, Biden is president-elect and is going to be inaugurated, then I'm 100% in support. I support our president. I, I didn't vote for Biden, but I will support him as president because that just creates more divide, you know, just because my my um, party isn't in that direct power doesn't mean I shouldn't support the president. So I do think that, um, you know, once, once all legal votes are counted and everything is official, I think we should, everyone should accept the results of the election. Um, but I think it's important to cross off all possibilities. Now you've said that a, pri- a primary reason why you support, why you support president Trump in the election was because of Israel. So Assuming Biden is inaugurated on January 20th, what do you think a Biden-Israel relationship would look like? Um, I don't know. I don't think it would be as strong um, as the one with President Trump. I, I think Biden would. I think a lot of the reasons why all of these countries have have um, agreed to to make peace deals with Israel is because um, the the Iran deal has made Iran so strong and it's pushed other countries to unite over a common enemy. I think with the Biden administration, we wouldn't see this kind of unity among other countries with Israel. Um, I also, I I don't think that, uh, I think there's a possibility of the embassy being moved back. Um, And I don't think there would be as much um, of a relationship between the U.S. and Israel. Although I don't think that, I don't think that a Biden administration um, would go and undo you know, the four years of progress that President Trump has made. But I do think that um, it would not be as effective. If I can just point out that uh, Joe Biden has said that he will leave the embassy in Jerusalem. He said in the campaign that he will leave the embassy, just to uh, just to clarify for our listeners. How would you evaluate Trump's uh, treatment of the coronavirus pandemic in the United States? Um. I think he's done a fair job considering it's required really quick action. I mean, I mean, you look at the, the info we knew a while ago, um, he shut down travel to China immediately. And I mean, Joe Biden called, called him a racist and a xenophobe for doing so. I think that really prevented more of a spread than we saw. There were governors around the country, Republican and Democrat that have given him praise for all the, the PPE that he's gotten to all the states really quickly, considering the conditions. Um, I do think he should done uh, he have should have done a better job of addressing the seriousness of it in the way that he that he spoke about it. Um, maybe providing a better example 
for the country as far as um, mask wearing goes, even if he doesn't agree with it. I think that um, we didn't know much about it and just wearing it and being on the safer side is a good thing. I do think that, that um, the coronavirus has been politicized this year. I think it was, all, it was definitely used as a, as a tool to, to make President Trump look bad. But I do think that he's done a good job with, with how he's handled it under the pressure that the whole world is under. Don't you think that when President Trump holds rallies where there's many, many crowded supporters wearing no masks and when he himself has not taken caution, has conned the virus himself and then went down and really said that it was no big deal and that he felt great. Don't you think that rhetoric really costs American lives? You know, I think we didn't see much of a spread from from these um, Trump rallies. I think that um, if you look at the numbers, um, it's it's not killing anyone under the age of 75. Well, that, that, is, that is false. We have seen multiple instances of um, people in middle age, um, adults uh, dying from the virus. And um, I want to say that uh, there are maps uh, overlaying Trump rallies with the spread of uh, COVID-19 um, in the waves that have come through since uh, second and second, third wave so far. And it, it, we have seen a uh, correlation between, between uh, Trump's uh, what they call super spreader events and a rise in COVID cases in, across the country. I would just like to point that out for our listeners. And even then, younger, younger people who have COVID-19, they move around, right? For example, kids, when they come home from school, if they have COVID-19, it may not be, you know, very helpful for them, but they bring it home to their grandparents, their parents who are more susceptible to the virus. No, I do think that precautions need to be taken, but I do think it's also important to recognize who is affected, um, who's a carrier. And I think that the, the difference between going complete lockdown on a nursing home versus an elementary school. I mean, it's a big difference because you have two different age groups with, with very different conditions. And I think it's important to, to not put a, a strict label on um, policies as a generalization. I also think that um, when I said coronavirus has been politicized a little bit, I mean, you see the day after the media called Joe Biden um, president elect, Streets filled with people celebrating shoulder to shoulder. You see governors out there celebrating with them. Um, nobody, nobody's condemning it. Um, and it, that when you, when that message is being sent, it's, it sends the message to people like, is the left really serious about this? Or is this being used um, to their political advantage? Because you see that image and it's, it's concerning. Well, I just like to point out that, um, some of the um, counter arguments to your point were that um, it was outside. There, you know, celebrations. There were they were out. They were mainly outside, and oh, and um, the vast majority of participants were wore masks. The when uh, I believe Trump press secretary uh, uh, Kelly McEnany, um tweeted about it. I've, some um, some responses um, seem to be that um, the Trump rallies, and, um, the events for uh, the Amy Coney Barrett um, nomination. Very, very few people have ha- uh, wore masks at, the, at those rallies or at the or at the White House. No, I agree with that. And the people, the people that were at that event, you know, you saw a lot of people at the White House got COVID um, about a month ago, um, and they mm-hmm. did they did get COVID and then they did get through it. And I think that it's important 
as it's as important to remember that that this is a dangerous virus, um, depending on who you are, depending on your conditions. But it's also important not to um, live in direct fear of the virus. We have very advanced medical teams today, and I, I think there's there's a fine balance between um, living in complete fear and of this virus and exposing ourselves to it. I think there's a, definitely a middle ground for that. Well, let's talk about that. What, what are your What are your state's restrictions? Like, what what do you What do you think about the um, the lockdowns and the uh, lack of um, a na- of a unified nationwide action? No national mask mandate, for example. So, in my state, um, Colorado, we they just put us in stage three lockdown. Um, it's the most advanced stage. Um, there's a curfew of 10 p.m. for the next month. Um, mainly just because there's a lot of teenagers out partying past 10 p.m. That's that was the main reason for it. They're not pulling people over who are driving, but they're if if you're out and you don't have an ex, like or valid reason, you can get arrested or fined two thousand dollars. I do think that in states like Colorado, putting a restriction on the time people can leave their houses is a bit excessive. I do think that trying to regulate Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving dinner is also a bit excessive. I, I don't think that there, there should be a reason that um, holidays should be mandated. I think that national mask mandate isn't up, isn't up to the president to do it's up to it's individual state power. I think that governors around, around the country have um, had their opportunity to do so. I know in Colorado, it's like that. But I think that that power is up to the individual states. But you don't think it's a problem when there, when in some states you see higher amounts of cases, like in Florida, where you have governors who aren't as careful with the virus. For example, Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis, as opposed to Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker, their approaches are very different. I yeah. think their approaches are very that? different. I do think that also in Florida, you've seen cases go up, but then you start to see a sense of herd immunity when it comes to that. Um, there's there are people get are getting over this. And I think that masks are important. Um, but I think it's, it is up to individual states to determine whether they, um, whether they want to push a national mask mandate. We have one final uh, main question. Um, what do you think is the fate of, um, the Republican Party. What do you think is going to happen to with? How do you think Trump's legacy and Republican Party going forward? How what is going to happen? With um, I think the main the main thing that when Trump was first running that people really saw in him was he was more of a, a representative of the American people, um, whether people like it or not, rather than your average politician. Um, I think you see that in the way that he acted. He he often acted very quickly. Um, and I think that's what people like about him. I do think that there, there's now more of a split in the Republican Party. So, for example, I myself, I am a supporter of Trump. I do know people that they're Republicans and they voted for Trump, but they're not necessarily Trump supporters. They're more just Repu- moderate Republicans. So I think going forward, I think just as there's a divide in the Democrat Party, you see more moderate Democrats, such as Joe Biden versus 
um, his his running mate, Kamala Harris. I mean, they're they're on very different ends of the political spectrum as far as when when it comes to Democrats. I think you see that on the right too, and I think that you're going to have candidates who are more um, who are very very right leaning, and you're going to have more moderate um, Republicans. More you're going to have um, more right leaning Republicans and moderate Republicans, and I think that's you're going to find that in, in any uh, area of the political spectrum. Who do you think is going to win 2024? Uh, the Republican primary. Uh, I don't know. Um, I could see, uh, I could see Ted Cruz winning it, but I, I have no clue. There could, we could, we could see people who are, um, who are not really in, in government right now running. I mean, Donald Trump, he, he, he never was in, in DC and he ran and he won. So you could see, um, a public figure running, I could easily see um, as far as as far as Republican women going, I could see um, Kayleigh McEnany running. I could see uh, Candace Owens has mentioned something of her possibly running, but um, I, I have no clue. We'll, we'll have to wait four years to see that. Uh, Yehuda, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really try to represent a wide variety of views and Thank you so much for contributing to that. We really yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure to have you. Uh, Is there anything, any last thing you want to say to our listeners? Yeah, I just really hope that um, these conversations can take place more in all areas of the country, among all types of people with different political beliefs. I think it's really helpful for everyone. So, love to see it. And that concludes this episode of Gen Zers Talk Politics. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And send us any and all questions regarding the news or politics, because your questions make the show. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you next time.